the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation and at the solicitation of Japan was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. Indeed, one hour after Japanese air squadrons had commenced bombing in the American island of Oahu, the Japanese ambassador to the United States and his colleague delivered to our Secretary of State a formal reply to a recent American message. And while this reply stated that it seemed useless to continue the existing diplomatic negotiations, it contained no threat or hint of war or of armed attack. It will be recorded that the distance of Hawaii from Japan makes it obvious that the attack was deliberately planned many days or even weeks ago. During the intervening time, the Japanese government has deliberately sought to deceive the United States by false statements and expressions of hope for continued peace. Well, it's been 80 years since the ruthless and cunning enemy attempted to knock America out of a war that it had almost no intention of joining. When Adolf Hitler invaded Poland on the 1st of September 1939, he may have known that the world would condemn it, but he didn't know it would embroil the world as it did. Well, certainly Americans had little interest in joining another European war. We had suffered over 320,000 casualties in the First World War for reasons no one could seem to quite articulate. We didn't seek war. The war came to us. When Japan attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, 80 years ago today, the strategic victory it was uh, aiming for wasn't on the sandy beaches of Oahu. It was in the heart of every American, the utter demoralization of America. But they were wrong. And while the attack succeeded, Americans um, resolve wasn't cowed. It was uh, calcified, if you will, hardened and resolute. 
Millions of able-bodied men swarmed recruiting stations. They formed the backbone of a war machine that would free the world. It was a dangerous, calamitous, but also invigorating and exciting time. As Winston, Winston Churchill said, now this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And today we remember the attack on Pearl Harbor that began the United States um, involvement in World War II. Well, in other more recent news, in a secure video call today, President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin spoke for roughly two hours with escalating tensions between the two nations. The White House said Biden voiced deep concerns that the U.S. and its European allies share regarding Russia's military buildup along the Ukraine border. The president also reportedly made clear that the U.S. and our allies would respond with strong economic and other measures in the event of military escalation. That's according to a White House statement. Note, there's no military involvement threatened. The administration is yet to release any specific details on what economic tactics it will use. But it's been learned that the White House may be looking to block Russia from the swift international banking system. Well, in April, the European Parliament signed a non-binding resolution that would cut Russia off from the banking network should it invade Ukraine. The U.S. hasn't officially taken a position on that resolution, but sources say that Russia would view any move by the United States as an act of economic warfare. President Biden reiterated his support for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity and called for de-escalation and a return to diplomacy. That's what the White House said in a statement following the call. Both Biden and Putin have tasked their administrations to follow up. On the uh, day's talks, the administration says it's going to work in close coordination with allies in Europe, including France, Germany and the United Kingdom, to observe the Kremlin's actions. And in fact, the president had a conversation with those allies after his conversation with Putin. Uh, Both world leaders separately discussed the U.S.-Russian dialogue on strategic stability, countering ransomware and regional issues that included Iran. Well, either the U.S. and NATO provide us with legal guarantees the Ukraine will never join NATO or become a base for weapons that can threaten Russia or we will go in and guarantee it ourselves. Well, this was the message that the Russian uh, President Vladimir Putin is sending backed by 100,000 plus troops Russia has amassed on Ukraine's borders, not only troops, but also the infrastructure that would allow them to invade Ukraine successfully and hold the land. In other news, President Biden will withdraw the nomination of um, Sali Amarova to head the Office of Comptroller of the Currency after a contentious nomination battle. Uh, she would have brought invaluable insight and perspective to our information, our important work, rather, on behalf of the American people, the president said in a statement today. But unfortunately, from the very beginning of her nomination, she was subjected to inappropriate personal attacks that were far beyond the pale, end quote. Well, those inappropriate personal attacks were calling her on statements she's actually made and whether or not she still holds to those views. She has very recently said she does. Well, Amarova was Biden's pick for a position that would have put her in a charge of regulating banks, a nomination that was largely lauded as progressives uh, who have called for the agency to conduct more strict supervision. But critics argued that she was a radical choice, saying the nominee wanted to nationalize banking while questioning whether she remained wedded to the ideologies of her native Soviet Union. 
said to Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican out of Pennsylvania, during an October speech opposing her confirmation, I don't think I've ever seen a more radical choice for any regulatory spot in our federal government. You could ask yourself, where would a person even come up with these ideas, he continued. Well, maybe a contributing factor could be in if a person grew up in the former Soviet Union, went to Moscow State University, attended there on a Vladimir Lenin academic scholarship. Well, the battle over her nomination led her to withdraw from consideration, a decision the president accepted on Tuesday while praising her qualifications and accomplishments. Well, the House of Representatives is set to vote if they haven't already done so tonight on a procedural bill addressing the looming need to raise the debt ceiling. If the bill passes, the Senate would then identify uh, the length of a debt ceiling supervision or a dollar figure increase. It remains unclear what those figures would be. A simple majority is needed to pass the measure, which means the Democrats uh, didn't need the Republican support to move the bill forward. The Senate is likely to vote on that procedural framework on Thursday. Uh, Congressional correspondent Chad uh, Pergram, he reported that it's doubtful that either chamber will vote on the actual bill to suspend or raise the debt ceiling until the middle of next week. I can't overstate how critical it is that Congress address this issue. That's a quote from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen at a Senate Banking Committee hearing on Tuesday, explaining that the debt ceiling must be raised by the December 15th deadline. America must pay its bills on time and in full, she went on to say. Well, in other news, Jesse Smollett testified uh, to receiving a text from CNN's Don Lemon during the Chicago police attack investigation. We'll tell you more on that when we return in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we're going to... Uh, Hear from Dave Beckwith, author of I Love the World, It's People I Can't Stand, Jonah's Journey of Brokenness and Yours. It's coming up in the second segment of the second hour of today's program. Well, Jesse Smollett said that he had correspondence with CNN's Don Lemon during the early parts of the Chicago Police Department's investigation into the alleged hate crime attack for which he uh, is currently on trial defending himself against allegations he faked the entire ordeal. In his court testimony on Monday, the 39-year-old said under oath that during the investigation he received a text from the network's Don Lemon supposedly relaying information that the uh, police department didn't believe his account of what happened. Lemon uh, told his viewers at the time that the story was personal since he and Smollett had been acquaintances and were in constant communication since the alleged incident and that Smollett told Lemon what he said had happened to him, which he admitted raised lots of questions. He stressed that while Smollett is innocent until proven guilty, he still squandered the goodwill of a whole lot of people if his story wasn't true. Well, Smollett is now in the hands of prosecutors who are questioning the actor on the supposed injuries he sustained in the attack. Doctors saying there were no injuries. Smollett is charged with six counts of felony disorderly conduct for making what prosecutors say was a false police report about the alleged incident. One count for each time he gave a report to three different officers. Uh, Chris Cuomo and CNN are lawyering up ahead of the brewing $18 million legal battle over his firing. And CNN's Brian Stetler whitewashed the scope of the Chris Cuomo scandal, but avoided mentioning the first accuser. A former crumbly um, neighbor called Children's Protective Services on the shooter's parents years ago, but they didn't do much good, they say. They left the young boy 
alone quite often. In other developments, Oxford school officials could also be charged in the deadly Michigan shooting, according to a prosecutor. Michigan detectives plan to interview a man uh, said to be named a person of interest in that case. A Colorado Walmart shoplifting suspect allegedly deployed bear spray. Five people were treated. And Portland police are telling residents 911 response times may be delayed due to staffing shortages. Only critical incidents will warrant a response. And Los Angeles D.A. Gascoin is still silent on the crime wave, prosecutors say. He's being considered for a second recall effort. The first was unsuccessful. Well, new travel restrictions take effect requiring COVID testing for vaccinated travelers uh, entering the United States. President Biden's latest COVID-19 rule goes into effect Uh, This week, requiring all international travelers, including Americans, to test negative for COVID-19 the day before their departure to the United States, whether or not they're vaccinated. The White House announced Thursday that the U.S. will tighten pre-departure testing protocols by requiring all inbound international travelers to test within one day of departure globally, regardless of nationality or vaccination status. A senior administration official confirmed. This uh, tighter testing timeline provides an added degree of public health protection as scientists continue to assess the Omicron variant, the White House added. Well, the president announced this requirement among a swath of other actions, including the extension of mandatory masking on public transportation and in airports until the 18th of March, creating winter COVID emergency response teams, buying a stockpile of coronavirus therapeutics and working to provide more at-home virus tests. We're going to fight this virus with science and speed, not chaos and confusion, just like we beat covid 19 in the spring and more powerful variant Delta variant in the summer and fall. The president said Thursday as he unveiled his COVID winter plan. The president also said Friday that he doesn't believe the White House will have uh, to go beyond these measures to institute a vaccine requirement for domestic travel, at least at this point. Well, the next pandemic may be more lethal. A scientist behind the AstraZeneca vaccine warns and Republicans blasted President Biden's diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics as too meager. Mayor de Blasio, I should say outgoing Mayor de Blasio's vaccine mandate will force companies to question staying in New York City. And President Biden's Justice Department is suing Texas over their redistricting maps. The question is whether or not he will uh, also sue or the department will also sue Uh, blue state redistricting maps. Authorities revealed another school massacre was in the works. The South Carolina sheriff's deputies arrested a 14-year-old male high school student Monday on charges that he threatened to shoot up schools in his county. A substitute teacher in Austin, Texas, was reportedly asked to leave school early last week after appearing to belt out Britney Spears' toxic with the help of a karaoke machine in front of a stunned classroom. I'm sure there's a story behind that. I can't imagine what it is. A Marine 20 was killed while helping crash victims in the California interstate. And a Democrat called out white rich progressives in his party. Democrat Representative Ruben Galejo of Arizona lambasted members of his party on Monday over their use of the gender neutral term Latinx. When referring to the Hispanic community, Galejo responded to a new poll that showed just 2% of Latinos uh, recognize the term Latinx, while 40% feel offended by it. Vladimir Putin has set the world on edge, amassing Russian troops along the Ukraine border. The president talked about that with President Putin earlier today.
We'll talk more about that later. Republicans are amplifying their criticism of Democrats' massive social spending and climate package, taking aim at a key tax provision they say would disproportionately benefit ultra-wealthy Americans in blue states. The so-called SALT deduction cap, which is poised to sunset in 2026, limits the amount of state and local taxes that Americans can deduct from their federal taxes to $10,000. The proposal was has faced pushback from progressive lawmakers as well as Republicans. You don't see those two in the same camp very often. They both slammed it as a tax cut for millionaires and billionaires. An NYSE shakeup sees President Stacey Cunningham's exit and an ex-LA utility head admitted to taking bribes in a billing scandal. West Side Story, the new version, will not be released in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates or other Gulf nations. And hedge fund founder Steinhardt will return looted antiquities. Mayor um, de, de Blasio announced that he will... Uh, require all private businesses in the city to mandate vaccines by the end of the month, blindsiding a major business organization which said they had no indication the move was coming. A White House, um, The White House announced a boycott of the Beijing Winter Olympics, a diplomatic boycott that allows athletes who still want to compete to do so. The National School Boards Association fears their attack on parents could cost them seven figures as state and local school boards uh, bail on the left-wing organization. The Pope ripped the European Union for trying to take Christ out of Christmas. From the Pope, you refer to the European Union document on Christmas. This is an anachronism in history. Many, many dictatorships have tried to do so. Think of Napoleon. From there, think of the Nazi dictatorship, the communist one. Is it, uh, it is a fashion of a watered-down secularism, distilled water, but this is something that throughout uh, history hasn't worked, end quote. Well, the Chicago public schools will now allow boys to use girls' bathrooms, and they call this safe, while the exact opposite of reality, uh, and they know it. Democrat strategists are worrying that overturning of Roe won't help them politically. Interviews with more than a dozen Democrat strategists, pollsters and officials reveal skepticism that the court's decision will dramatically alter the midterm landscape unless, and perhaps not even then, Roe is completely overturned. Privately, several Democratic strategists have suggested the usefulness of any decision on abortion next year will be limited, and some may advise their clients not to focus on abortion rights at all. Math professors are pretty outraged as California seeks to downgrade math in the name of social justice because everything is now racist. Well, the state uh, Democrats want to cut advanced math courses because preferred minority groups are struggling. Rashida Tlaib is pushing for a student debt forgiveness. Kate Pavlich points out Socialist Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib took to the House floor recently to complain about her personal student debt and advocated American taxpayers should bail students like her out. Michelle Perez Exner says for almost four years, Representative Tlaib has been making an annual salary of $174,000 as a House member, but she wants the rest of us to chip in to pay for her law degree. From Como News, Tlaib makes $174,000 a year as a member of Congress. Many opponents of federal student loan forgiveness argue it's unfair. Nearly half of student debt is owed by people in households that have graduate degrees and can more easily pay back the debt they than uh, others. And Matt Walsh says she's a perfect example of why we shouldn't forgive student loans. She makes 175000 a year and wants the taxpayers to uh, assume her debts. No, pay your bills, you deadbeat, he says. Student loan forgiveness is upper class welfare, end quote. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
Quick break, and we'll return. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Oh, that's so lovely. I didn't want to interrupt. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Just want to remind you that coming up in the second hour of today's program, we'll hear from Dave Beckwith, author of I Love the World, It's People I Can't Stand, Jonah's Journey of Brokenness and Yours. Also want to remind you the clock is ticking on the Christmas mortgage miracle. If you can imagine what it would be like to save the money you would pay on rent or a mortgage for an entire year, I want to encourage you to check out the Christmas Mortgage Miracle. It could happen to you if you enter the Christmas Mortgage Miracle with KPDQ from Osteo Strong PDX. You can enter once per day through the 17th of December. And of course, today is the 7th. So you've got 10 days, 10 opportunities to, uh, to register to win. Just click on the Christmas Mortgage Miracle at kpdq.com. So check that out. Also want to let you know that tomorrow India Partners will join me in studio as we uh, provide an opportunity for families in India to receive uh, what they need in order to survive and thrive. I, I had to sneeze just then. Did you catch that, James? I don't think I've ever sneezed on the air. I mean, it was a subdued sneeze, but I have to mark my calendar. That's the first time that's happened. Anyway, <laughs> you can check that out. I hope you'll join us here tomorrow for that. Well, a San Francisco restaurant booted a police officer for having guns, which is part of the uniform. The restaurant Hilda and Jesse have since been hammered with bad reviews from the police tribune. Three on-duty uniformed San Francisco police officers were kicked out of a local restaurant on Friday because their firearms made employees working there uncomfortable, according to the eatery's owners. Well, shortly after seating them, the staff felt uncomfortable with the presence of their multiple weapons. Um, The uh, pair said in an interview, an Instagram post rather, on Saturday, we then politely asked them to leave, which, of course, they did. From the local uh, television KRON4, after the incident, the restaurant issued an apology Sunday in an Instagram post. We made a mistake and apologized for the unfortunate incident on Friday when we asked members of the San Francisco Police Department to leave our restaurant. The apology wrote, we are grateful to all members of the force who work hard to keep us safe, especially during these challenging times. We hope this will be a teachable moment for us as we repair and continue to build bridges with the SFPD. These are stressful times and we handle this badly, end quote. The restaurant said uh, Saturday its actions are not a political statement, stating it did uh, what it thought was best for its staff. Apparently they got a lot of really bad reviews uh, once this story went public. Well, Oregon Governor Brown attended a gala and she wasn't wearing her mask. All of this after pushing a permanent mask mandate that we're told isn't really permanent. They just use the word because they couldn't think of another one. Oregon Governor Kate Brown is uh, carefully following the example of her fellow uh, Democrats by attending an event with lots of people in close proximity without a mask. Now, some of you say, well, we shouldn't have to wear them in close proximity. But when you insist on others uh, do just that, you probably should keep the standard that you've set. Well, a New Jersey bill would grant abused pets um, their own lawyers in court. Now, you won't be granted one, but your pets will. Uh, The bill, which passed unanimously in the Senate earlier this year and is awaiting an assembly vote, this is in New Jersey, would create a courtroom animal advocate program in the Garden State. If passed, lawyers and third-year law students could volunteer as liaisons between the court and the abused animal as a cruelty case moves through the legal system, ensuring the creatures don't get forgotten. Well, Joe Paper Tiger Biden warned Vladimir Putin today of the very real costs if Russia attacks Ukraine. 
We'll see whether or not it was taken seriously. Saying the U.S. will pay a price, China issued a statement after the U.S. launched a uh, diplomatic boycott of the Olympics, a rather weak uh, diplomatic boycott. Remember how Scranton Joe abandoned Afghanistan to the Taliban? Well, the country is now on the brink of mass starvation. A million children might starve to death this winter. Meanwhile, the president missed the congressional deadline to disclose the Afghan airlift details. In a classic backfire, the president's Judicial Commission has rejected Supreme Court packing and term limits. And the White House is working with left media reporters to reshape coverage of economic woes under the administration as the president's approval continues to sink. Saying that it is not our preference, Jen Psaki, White House press secretary, admitted being annoyed that the Biden administration is forced to restart the common sense remain in Mexico policy per a court order. Declining to follow the science, the FDA is pressuring Google to take down a YouTube video on a monoclonal monoclonal antibody drug. A critical race trove from a California district tells students how to use witchcraft on people who say all lives matter. Fairfax County residents oppose renaming Lee Highway, but unelected bureaucrats are changing it anyway. Of the people, by the people, for the people. Twitter slapped a warning on a link from the American Heart Association that discussed side effects from the vaccine. So don't follow the science. Follow this. I'm really very confused. San Francisco is finally cutting taxes, well, on weed shops. This will help them compete with drug dealers. The rest of San Francisco residents, you're on your own. Catholic University student government voted to remove a painting depicting George Floyd as Jesus Christ. And while his shooting was unjustified, he certainly was not the Messiah. Saying there was uh, no hoax, actor Jesse Smollett spun an elaborate alternative explanation for his alleged late night attack. And David Perdue, Perdue, rather, joined the Georgia governor's race, setting up a GOP showdown with Brian Kemp. And Devin Nunez will become CEO of Trump's new media group. Chris Cuomo is out at Sirius XM radio where he had his own show. Well, on this day in history, 1787, Delaware becomes the first state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. 1842, the New York Philharmonic uh, performs its first concert. 1911, Chinese abol- China rather abolishes the requirement that men wear a ha- a, uh, their hair in a ponytail. 1941, Japan launches a surprise attack on the U.S. Navy base in Pearl Harbor in Hawaii as part of its plan to conquer Southeast Asian territories. The raid, which claimed 2,400 American lives, would prompt the United States to declare war against Japan the next day. On this day in history, 1972, America's last moon mission to date is launched as Apollo 17 blasts off from Cape Canaveral. 1987, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev sets foot on American soil for the first time, arriving for a Washington summit with President Ronald Reagan. 1988, a major earthquake in the Soviet Union devastates northern Armenia. Officials estimate uh, uh, the death toll 25,000. 2004, Hamid Karzai is sworn in as Afghanistan's first popular elected president. And 2017, Senator Al Franken, a Democrat from Minnesota, announces his resignation after a series of harassment allegations surface. 
Well, the Biden uh, bureaucrats are quietly increasing the federal government's control over health care. We'll tell you more about that in the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. We'll also talk about a uh, Supreme Court case that's coming up, a uh, case over public funding for sectarian education, challenging the distinctions between religious identity and religious purpose. That's going before the Supreme Court. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. Also want to remind you that coming up in the second hour, we're going to um, talk with Dave Beckwith, author of I Love the World, It's People I Can't Stand, Jonah's Journey of Brokenness and Yours. And uh, we'll also uh, take a look at, in the second hour, remembering the attack on Pearl Harbor, today being the 80th anniversary of said event. Uh, Fewer and fewer veterans from uh, that war and certainly of Pearl Harbor are still with us. Um, There was a celebration held uh, in Hawaii commemorating those events and remembering those who were lost earlier today and on wednesday india partners will join me in studio for their annual radiothon we're going to be talking about how you as a an expression of christian uh, charity and christmas holiday giving uh, an opportunity to provide for families who otherwise might not be able to provide for themselves it has to do with chickens and we'll explain it all to you tomorrow when david harms joins me in studio for india partners that's coming up on tomorrow's program so hope you will plan to join us You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I had my first on-air sneeze and completely threw me off. We have one more segment before news and traffic at the top of the hour. James Blend has informed me. Anyway, that's coming up. It's just not now. I want to remind you that Saving America with Charlie Kirk is on 93.9 KPDQ weekdays at 6. Uh, Charlie Kirk is the founder of the and president, I should say, of Turning Point USA, a national student movement dedicated to identifying, organizing and empowering young people to promote the principles of a free market and limited government. He speaks in over 70 Christian churches every year. And now with the launch of Saving America, you can listen in too. tune in to Saving America with Charlie Kirk weekdays at six right here on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, a Georgia federal judge is the latest to halt the president's federal contractor vaccine mandate. The judge wrote that all branches of government act within the bounds of their constitutionally granted authority. Well, a federal judge blocked the president from implementing a coronavirus vaccine mandate for federal contractors on Tuesday, providing another setback to the administration's push to mandate vaccines nationwide. Well, U.S. District Judge Stan Baker he issued rather a stay on the order in an Augusta, Georgia court after determining that states are likely to succeed in their claim that the Biden administration exceeded his authority when the requirement for federal contractors be vaccinated was issued back in September. Well, the court acknowledges the tragic toll that the COVID-19 pandemic has weighed throughout the country and the globe, the judge wrote. He was appointed by former President Donald Trump. He wrote in his ruling, however, even in times of crisis, this court must preserve the rule of law and ensure that all branches of government act within the bounds of their constitutionally granted authority. Well, the order came in response to a lawsuit from several contractors and seven states, Alabama, Georgia, Idaho, Kansas, South Carolina, Utah and West Virginia. It applies across the U.S. because one of those challenging the order is the trade group Associated Builders and Contractors, Inc., whose members do business 
all across the country. Well, the ruling comes after another federal judge in Kentucky issued an injunction against the mandate last week that applied to federal contractors in Kentucky, Ohio, Tennessee, and uh, after three states sued together. Well, the the, uh, Biden administration issued an executive order on the 9th of September requiring federal contractors and subcontractors to comply with workforce safety guidelines developed by the federal task force. Now, that task force subsequently issued guidelines that uh, new Uh, uh, renewed and extended contracts include a clause requiring employees to be fully vaccinated by the 18th of January. That meant those receiving a two-dose vaccine had to get their second shot by the 4th of January. Well, in addition to the mandate for federal contractors, the president's mandate for private sector workers at companies with over 100 employees and a vaccine mandate for healthcare workers have both been put on hold by the courts as well. Now, last month, the president's Department of Justice says it will vigorously defend the guidelines laid out by the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, um, aimed at enforcing the vaccine requirements on all businesses with 100 employees after the plan was blocked by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Now, it's being argued that that agency does not have the authority to uh, enforce that kind of a mandate. Well, the White House press secretary said today that the administration remains confident in its ability to legally enforce the mandate across the country. I'm not sure what that confidence is built upon. Every challenge thus far has gone the opposite direction, but only the court uh, who ultimately decides will tell. Well, throughout the first decade of the 21st century, conservatives in state capitals and in Congress supported a balanced approach to increasing health insurance coverage while granting states flexibility to design sustainable Medicaid programs for low-income residents that include personal responsibility. Well, states enjoyed broad flexibility to recreate or to create Medicaid programs that reflected what was practicable and achievable within their jurisdiction. The Affordable Care Act, popularly known as Obamacare, went in the opposite direction, and Congress passed it on a strictly partisan basis. Obamacare took away states' authority to regulate insurance markets. Well, health care shouldn't be a partisan issue, but, of course, everything in Washington essentially is. Current efforts by the current administration are pushing common sense aside. Make no mistake, the actions of uh, Joe Biden's team are about further consolidation of power over Americans' health care in Washington. Well, in 2020, uh, the president ran uh, promising to improve access to health care for every American, yet 10 months into his administration, his actions are unraveling the health care safety net for generations to come. Well, in recent months, the administration has quietly moved to strip states' ability to manage their Medicaid programs, and it's transferring that power into the hands of unelected, unaccountable federal bureaucrats. Under the previous administration, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services worked hand-in-hand with the states that granted waivers from federal regulation so they could tailor innovative health care programs to meet the particular needs of their population. Well, these waivers are pretty instrumental in providing states with the flexibility to develop pioneering new strategies for delivering uh, health care to their uh, residents. Well, health care in Alaska was one example. It's not the same there as in New York. Without the flexibility to tailor state-specific programs and rein in ever-increasing costs, Medicaid's uh, growth threatens to undermine other critical programs such as education and public safety. Well, sadly, the current administration's message to every governor and beneficiary is clear. 
No state should embark on the difficult and very complex process of submitting, negotiating and implementing an innovative waiver program that could improve the quality of care for their most vulnerable citizens. Innovation and freedom are gone. One size fits all federal mandates are here to stay, at least for now. Well, the latest Supreme Court case over public funding of sectarian education is on the docket. The latest Supreme Court case over public funding examines a policy in Maine, a state dotted with small towns too tiny to run their own public schools. Over half of the state's school districts, officially called school administrative units, uh, contract with and pay tuition costs to another nearby school of the parent's choice, public or private. And that's where the hang-up lies in the case the Supreme Court has taken up. By law, Maine mandates that partnering private schools be non-sectarian in nature, in accordance with the First Amendment to the United States. A constitution uh, to receive the funding and three Christian families in the state are challenging that requirement. The Supreme Court will hear their case, Carson versus Mackin, this week. The decision could set further precedent in defining the distance between church and state and the approach of religious freedom itself, as it makes a distinction between barring public funding due to religious identity of a recipient and barring funding to the religious purpose it would be used to advance. The families in the case argue that the requirement violates their free exercise of religion since the state bars them from using their SAUs. And again, that's um, the, the initial for the school districts that are called school administrative units, uh, their tuition assistance to send their children to the schools of their choice, in this case, religious schools. Well, two of the families, the Carsons and the uh, Gillespie's, said their children, uh, rather sent their children to Bangor Christian School, a primary school whose philosophy is based on educating children with a biblical worldview. Not surprisingly, the other family, the Nelsons, would like to send their daughter to Temple Academy, another Christian school that integrates academic studies with the truth of Scripture. Well, neither family had actually applied for the tuition assistance program, but they cite Maine's non-sectarian requirement as a key factor that makes an attempt to even apply for the tuition assistance program program a futile endeavor. Both Bangor uh, Christian and Temple, because of their biblical principles, refuse to hire uh, teachers that do not reflect their biblical worldview and wouldn't accept tuition assistance from the state if uh, doing so would mean adhering to Maine's Human Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination in hiring on the basis of factors, including sexual orientation and gender identity. Well, as a threshold matter, the court will have to decide whether the families have constitutional standing to sue, and they will hear that case this week. While you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, we really do have news and traffic coming up at what is now the top of the hour. We'll be back and in the second hour, hear from Dave Beckwith. I love the world, it's people I can't stand. Jonah's journey of brokenness and yours. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up for the next couple of segments, we'll hear from Dave Beckwith. He's the author of I Love This World, It's People I Can't Stand, Jonah's Journey of Brokenness and Yours. That's coming up again in the next couple of segments. Um, so stay with us. Also, we'll take a, a moment to remember the attack on Pearl Harbor that occurred some 80 years ago. Well, aside from the cost and inflationary pressures of the Build Back Better bill, the Democrats' transformative legislation, as they call it, will extend the reach of the federal government and enable the biggest expansion of welfare our country has seen in decades. 
Representative Virginia Fox said after the bill passed in the House by a vote of 220 to 213. Well, the bill will also extend the federal government's reach into education. She points out allowing a federal takeover of child care will drive smaller and faith based daycares out of business, make infant care more expensive and give Washington bureaucrats even more say in what your children learn. Well, among many other provisions, the bill establishes programs to provide free child care for children under the age of six and free universal preschool services for toddlers. As recent school board meetings in this country demonstrate, parents are pretty concerned, upset or even furious about the propaganda their children are being taught. Well, this is Fox's full statement, again, made after the passage of the bill in the House. She uh, says President Biden, uh, President Biden's so-called Build Back Better bill is a travesty. This power grab simultaneously over uh, burdens work, hardworking taxpayers and worsens our country's inflation crisis, putting the American dream further out of reach for many Americans. Democrats are out of their minds if they expect Americans to believe Speaker Pelosi and President Biden's outrageous claim that this bill won't add a dollar to the deficit or Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's claim that spending $1.75 trillion will fight inflation. This is hogwash. Again, quoting, we know that this bill will likely cost far more than Democrats estimate. In fact, the Congressional Budget Office confirmed that and that it will exacerbate inflation. The American people have more business sense than this. They can't be fooled. Well, that's up for questioning. Well, the bill, she went on to say, will also extend the federal government's reach into education, allowing a federal takeover of child care will drive smaller and faith based daycares out of business, make infant care more expensive and give Washington bureaucrats even more say in what your children learn. The bill leaves workers in the dust while empowering union bosses and government bureaucrats to make matters worse. It also hamstrings business owners, pro act provisions and out 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 malicious government-imposed fines. It's clear this bill isn't about helping hardworking Americans. It's about bolstering special interests. As a self-governing nation, we should be helping Americans become self-sufficient, not become dependent on government programs. Yet the bill does just the opposite. The average American wants less government intervention, not more. As usual, uh, with the Build Back Better, they start by tearing down the most important parts of the nation, our freedom and independence, we must fight back, she says. My vote was an unequivocal no. And of course, this is yet to make its way to the Senate for an up or down vote. Well, social and emotional learning is the latest trend at our uh, child's schools. Um, it sounds beneficial, but that's a disguise. In truth, social and emotional learning indoctrinates kids with extremist ideas many parents don't condone and probably aren't aware of. On the 22nd of last month, the Hartford Current reported that West Hartford, Connecticut elementary school parents are in an uproar. They're complaining that teachers are putting words such as non-binary on the chalkboard and telling kids, including kindergartners, they can live life as a gender different from what they were assigned at birth. Parents were told by school authorities that they could uh, could not opt out um, their children. Well, most Americans think parents should have the final say on what kids are taught for, from Treasury Valley, Idaho to Greenwich, uh, Connecticut. School board candidates made social and emotional learning an issue in elections earlier this month. Well, I should say last month. Well, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita encouraged parents to speak up and caution that social and emotional learning programs shift the role of teachers from educators to therapists. Fighting social and emotional learning is an uphill battle because it's not only favored by a left-leaning educational bureaucracy, it's also big business. The SEL ecosystem today is flush with dollars. So reports um, 
Titan Partners, social and emotional learning industry consultants. Well, billions in federal COVID relief money for schools is being used to buy social and emotional learning programs and fund instructors for it. Uh, Advocates and companies that produce the materials lobby Congress and the Federal Department of Education to ensure legislative language precisely matches what they're selling. Nationwide sales of social and emotional learning materials shot up 45 percent in a year and a half to $765 million in 2021, so reports Education Week. But parental opposition is also surging. Attorney General Merrick Garland asked the FBI to look into parents protesting issues like social and emotional learning at school board meetings. His son-in-law is a co-founder of Panorama Education, a company raking in millions selling social and emotional learning materials to school districts. And many charged at the time a conflict of interest. And what about the billions of dollars uh, the Build Back Better legislation allocates to child care and pre-K? Will that money pay to indoctrinate even younger minds? The answer is likely yes. At least a dozen states, including New York, have already adopted social and emotional learning standards for preschool. Elementary schools, gender dysphoric kids make up less than 1% of the school population. Protect them, of course, from bullying and discrimination. They need to feel safe, but don't brainwash the rest with one-sided repeated lessons about gender issues. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. It was 80 years ago today, John W. Finn was under fire. The chief petty officer in charge of an ordnance crew at the Naval Air Base uh, in Hawaii, Finn had been awakened by a popping noise, so he hopped into his car and headed to the air hangars about a mile away to investigate. Then a fighter plane with a red meatball on it roared past him, and he knew his nation was under attack. When he got to the hangar, most of the uh, PBY patrol planes there were already on fire. So he grabbed a makeshift gun mount, hauled it into an area that gave him clear visibility and gave the uh, Japanese clear visibility to strafe him and fired belt after belt of 30 caliber rounds at the enemy's fighters and bombers. Well, two and a half hours later, when it was finally over, Finn had 21 shrapnel holes in his body, in addition to a bullet hole in his foot. For the action on December 7th, 1941, he was awarded the first Medal of Honor of any American in World War II. Well, Finn lived a long, rich life, passing away more than a decade ago at age 100. Indeed, today's ceremonies at Pearl Harbor, which were attended by 101-year-old uh, former Navy seaman First Class David Russell, who survived the bombings of the USS Oklahoma, a bombing that 429 of his fellow sailors and Marines did not survive, may well be the last major ceremony, uh, including uh, living veterans from that infamous day. Well, today, just a single World War II Medal of Honor recipient, 98-year-old Herschel Woody Williams, a Marine Corps corporal who grabbed a flamethrower in Iwo Jima and braved withering machine gun fire to systematically destroy a series of uh, deadly pillboxes, is still with us. The events of 80 years ago were nothing short of devastating. On December 7, 1941, more than 350 Japanese planes attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, killing 2,390 American servicemen and civilians and wounding 1,282. The attack sank or damaged eight battleships, three cruisers, three destroyers, and one mine layer and destroyed 118, or excuse me, 188 aircraft. Always will we remember the character of the onslaught against us. 
So said President Franklin Roosevelt as he addressed the American people in the wake of that attack. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. With confidence in our armed forces, with unbounded determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God, end quote. Well, the sustained sense of purpose that the American people felt during World War II has never been replicated since. Today, we're troubled to report that a recent survey by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation found that a number of Americans who said that they have a lot of confidence and trust in the military has dropped from 70 percent to 45 percent in just the past three years, including a stunning 11 point drop since February of this year. We know well the causes of this collapse and for the sake of our nation. We must correct them. Pearl Harbor may seem a distant, dying memory, but history tells us that we must never forget nor ever become complacent. It is with honor and respect for those who died or suffered terrible injuries on that long Sunday morning that we should never, uh, never again fall into the slumber of that attack on December 7th or the attack on September 11th. Doing otherwise will only invite the next attack by an enemy yet unnamed against a target yet unknown, on a date yet to be written. And as we're thinking about uh, World War II, how it began and what happened following this infamous day, we remember a one World War II veteran who paid a very heavy price for uh, defending this country. On the eve of the uh, um, 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, Mark Alexander reminded us of one such hero who just passed away days ago. We acutely are aware of the rapidly declining number of World War II veterans, those greatest generation eyewitnesses to the horrific rise of tyranny in Europe and Asia and the high cost of defeating those tyrants. Today, a final note on the passing of the a second prominent Ronald Reagan contemporary uh, this year, European theater army veteran Bob Dole. In February, we bid farewell to Reagan's formidable secretary of state, George Schultz a Pacific Theater Marine as well. Dole, a great college basketball, track, and football athlete, left the University of Kansas to serve his country, earning his position with the formidable 10th Mountain Division. In 1945, as a young lieutenant, his unit was attempting to take a German fortification in the mountains of Italy. He suffered a near-fatal spinal wound from an artillery round as he attempted to rescue his injured radio man, which had almost taken his right arm. Historian Lee Sandlin wrote that when other members of his 10th Mountain unit reached Dole and was uh, saw the extent of his injuries, they could only give him uh, the, the largest dose of morphine they had and write an M on his um, for morphine on his forehead in his own blood so that nobody else would, who found him would give him a second fatal dose. Initially, he was paralyzed from the neck down and upon hospitalization, not expected to survive. His year-long recovery was miraculous, and while recovering most of his motor skills, he ultimately lost the use of his right arm. When meeting Dole, he uh, would always greet you with his left hand while gripping a pin in his right hand to help control that arm because he didn't have control for the same reason he saluted with his left arm. Now, while um, the Senate Majority Leader Dole um, at a political function during the uh, Reagan era um, was a very prominent figure, that was back in 1996, the same year the Patriot Post was launched. At that time, uh, um, he was widely known and um, 
his political history certainly remembered. After watching a younger and far more charismatic Bill Clinton eviscerate another heroic World War II veteran, George Herbert Walker Bush, following the defeat of um, Senator Dole, who was in his second term as the Senate Majority Leader, uh, the same age as another World War II veteran, um, uh, Dole had uh, challenged um, the 1988 Republican presidential primary um, and uh, won that honor but did not win the uh, the election. Well, still riding President Reagan's historic economic boom, Clinton defeated Dole with his uh, 379 to 159 Electoral College landslide, though only capturing about 49.2 percent plurality of the vote over Dole's 40.7 percent with third party spoiler Ross Perot taking 8.4 percent and that was the end of Dole's political years. A Kansas native through and uh, through Dole never lost touch with his home state roots and post uh, 1996 his dedication and devotion to his fellow veterans of all ages. Another uh, Kansian and most uh, distinguished uh, member of the administration, the former CIA director and secretary of state Mike Pompeo said of his fellow army veteran and friend Bob vowed not to rest until there was a proper memorial on the Washington Mall honoring the Americans who served in World War II. Construction began in September of 2001, and it was dedicated in 2004. He considered that one of his greatest achievements. Well, farewell, Senator, and thank you for your military service and devotion to the American veterans. God bless your family and all those who sacrificed family members, their own life, or certainly their own physical well-being to defend this country starting at Pearl Harbor and following. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow I'm looking forward to some time with David Harms as we bring to your attention India Partners' effort to feed hungry families in India. It's a rather creative way to go about it. I hope you'll join us to find out more. That's tomorrow for our India Partners Radiothon. I want to thank James Blend for producing and engineering today's program and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.